This is Daniel Gallardo, and you're listening to the Tenkara Cast, the podcast about a simple Japanese method of fly fishing, Tenkara. In the Tenkara Cast, I'll be sharing information with you on techniques, history, gear, and philosophies, as well as Tenkara stories from anglers all over the world. This podcast is brought to you by Tenkara USA, introducing Tenkara outside of Japan since 2009. It is only possible we create content such as this podcast and all the videos that we create because of your support, so we thank you so very much for purchasing Tenkara USA rods, lines, and flies. I hope you enjoy learning more about the simple Japanese method of fly fishing, Tenkara. Welcome back, Tenkara Cast listeners. I appreciate you returning to yet another episode of the Tenkara Cast. Hopefully, you're going to be really enjoying the conversations that I'm going to be having here today.、Uh, we're going to have a two part episode, as, in, as is the new format for this podcast.、Uh, the first part is going to be a conversation, you know, the topic of the day. And today, that's going to be a conversation with Russ Rocca from the Pathless Paddled blog. Uh, Russ is the、uh, creator of the hashtag bike fishing. And as a lot of you know, we have the campaign we call Tenkara Plus. And it's the idea of combining sports with Tenkara because the rods are so portable, easy to bring along, and so forth. So we have a conversation about bike fishing and you know, how to go about doing it and so forth. And the second part of the conversation today,、uh, which is going to start in roughly the 37 minute mark. Is going to be a conversation with、uh, Bart Lombardo, who is the current president of the Central New Jersey Trout Unlimited Group.、Uh, Bart has been involved with TU for a very long time, and he's a good friend of mine. And I wanted to get his take on the, all the different issues, challenges, and projects that TU is involved with in Jersey. A lot of us don't think of New Jersey as trout fly fishing or trout waters, but there's plenty of trout waters around there, and they have unique challenges as any chapter of TU around the country. So, we're going to have a fun conversation about that so that you can learn a little bit more about TU chapters and their work around the country. So, that's as I introduced in the last episode, that's part of the new format of the Tenkara Cast. I'm going to be doing、uh, a two part episode every time. One part is going to be The topic of the day, like today, is going to be bike fishing. And the second part is really、um, a way to highlight the work of Trout Unlimited across the country. And I want to try to connect with every chapter、uh, in the country so that everybody knows what's going on, the kind of challenges they have, and so forth. So hopefully, you will stick around for、uh, both parts of the conversation here.、Uh, they're both a lot of fun. But if you want to skip to the conversation with TU, where I talked to Bart, you can go ahead and skip to about the 35 and a half minute mark of this episode and start listening to that. But here we have a conversation with Russ Rocca at the Path Last Paddle. So, Russ, why don't you tell me、uh, wait, which one came first, fly fishing or biking for you?、Uh, for me, definitely the, the cycling.、Um... In 2009, my partner and I sold everything and,、uh, to travel by bike, and we ended up traveling for three years. And at that time,、uh, you know, we were camping a lot. We were always camping by water features, you know, rivers and lakes. And、um, I'm a photographer, but you can only take pictures of you know, pretty landscapes for, for so much before you get bored.、And、I began to really wonder what was, what was inside the water. So I got this wild hair of trying fishing and fly fishing. Uh, just seemed like the most logical form because you know, you're know, o y u not carrying bait. It looked pretty、uh, relatively lightweight. 
and actually in the middle of our bike tour in uh, Fort Worth, Texas, of all places, uh, there's this great outdoor shop that had a fly shop and the guy that ran it was super friendly. And uh, he was like, oh, if you're interested, you know, I'm, I'm doing a, a casting class tomorrow, you should come. So, you know, I took the class. Uh, he made fishing really accessible, you know, because it tends to be kind of snooty and intimidating. Um, and then I was hooked. Like I, I walked out of that, that class with like an armful of fishing gear. And since then, you know, strapped it to the bike. And um, now that was back in like 2009, uh, I've been combining fishing with our bike trips. And we actually choose destinations and routes now um, that have to have fishing along the way. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think the first time that I saw you, I started a company else in 2009. And I believe I saw your blog, The Path Less Paddled, not long after that. Is that when you started the blog? Um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, you're, I remember, um, yeah, I remember. It, you know, I got a Western uh, uh, fly fishing set and then was looking for like a lighter, kind of easier uh, fishing set to deploy. And I just I ran into you guys and I think I sent you a, uh, a email about, um, you know, we're doing this thing, you know, because I trapped one of your rods. And um, I think that's how we first connected. You sent over a rod and uh, some flies. And yeah, it was, it was awesome. It worked really well. Yeah. And I think one of the first things that I remember might have been right around the time you created this beautiful video of um, I forget what you called it but it was essentially a bunch of people getting their bikes and going to a lakeside area and having coffee I mean, right. I'm a big coffee you know fanatic as well so I love that video it was, <laughs> yeah tell me about that a little bit uh, what was that uh, what was that video Refresh yeah my so there's a you know we're we're really active on on social media in particular Instagram and it's interesting to see different trends that pop up in bicycling and uh, one of the hashtags was coffee outside, which was actually started by our friend Rob Perks, who owns a bike company called Ocean Air Cycles. And the whole idea is, you know, you not everyone can camp every day, but you can have like an outdoor experience with friends uh, making coffee. So the whole point is to gather in the morning with your bikes and with your cook stoves, you know, find a you know, pretty spot and make coffee and nerd out about bikes and, and coffee and gear and just a, a real pleasant way to get started. And what's fascinating about that is... Um, it's really common. It's like an international <laughs> phenomenon. I think the, the hashtag coffee outside has like, I don't know, over a couple hundred thousand uses. Um, and there's different uh, groups across the country that do it. So there's a group here in Missoula, Montana. I know there's a group in LA and Santa Monica, uh, in Austin, other places uh, across the country that have a good kind of biking and coffee culture. You know, there's usually a coffee outside group that'll meet once a week and just brew coffee together. So have you gone back and joined groups that do that, the coffee outside uh, thing, or was that uh, something that you did more um, back in when you lived in Oregon? Uh, no, we, um, yeah, there's a group that's right here in Missoula, Montana. Mm -hmm. uh, our friend Toffer runs it, and uh, we actually did it all throughout winter. So we now have the fat bike, and mm -hmm. you know, we're standing out there. It's probably like 10 degrees, and there's you know two feet of snow wow. around us, but people are still <laughs> making coffee. Yeah. Uh, when we travel, we'll usually, you know, if it times out, uh, we'll visit the local coffee outside group. Our friend Aaron uh, Vasquez runs a group out of L.A. And our friends Brian and Cynthia run it out of Santa Monica. We got a friend in uh, Austin named William who, who runs it there. So Wow, I didn't realize usually, it was such like, a big thing. <laughs> yeah, big there's like a built-in like bike slash coffee nerd community. Uh, and there's a growing 
you know, bike slash fishing community. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you next. Uh, talking about hashtags, uh, the the hashtag bike fishing has become pretty popular. It seems like at least uh, within our niche of fly fishing and that kind of thing. Tell me about that one. Uh, what uh, are you seeing? Big numbers? Uh, who started that? Did you start it? Because I I think you are the first person that I remember posting about it. Tell me about the bike fishing. Yeah, so movement. I started. Yeah, so I started the hashtag. You know, every time you did use, you get a dollar in my Instagram account. <laughs> awesome, <laughs> you're getting rich. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's got about, I think, I last checked, over four thousand uses uh, all over the world. You know, Japan, you know, Hawaii. Um, you know, there's a guy touring in Argentina um, that's with a pack raft and um, you know fly gear. Um, yeah, and I really started it kind of on a whim. Um, you know, I was naturally already interested in combining uh, bicycling with uh, fly fishing. And at the time, you know, people were getting super serious into like, you know, racing and bikepacking. I was like, you know, there's got to be some kind of foil that brings the goofiness back in there. So I was like, oh, I'm going to promote just this idea that I already do of, you know, you know fly fishing with a bike and started the hashtag. Um, and since then, it's, it's actually really fascinating. Lots of um, brands have picked up on it, lots of cycling brands and even a couple of fishing brands. Um, you know, several brand videos have come out com combining mountain biking or bike packing with fly fishing. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, I, the, the, the total cause for that, but I definitely help instigate it. <laughs> oh, totally. I don't think anybody has promoted as, as consistently as, uh, Pathless Battled has. I think you guys have been certainly at the forefront. It's, um, and I believe, you know, like, a, do you know the timing when you introduced the hashtag? Um, uh, it was probably about three years ago. Yeah, because I, I think it was like right at the same time that I kind of had this idea at Tenkara USA for the Tenkara Plus campaign, mm -hmm, you know, which is kind of like a little bit like you mentioned with coffee. Like not everybody has a ton of time, you know, to go camping mm -hmm. and whatnot. It's, um, you know, with Tenkara, you kind of want to make it accessible so people can just go fly fishing really quickly and you don't have to dedicate, you know, your whole time to fly fishing. You can combine it with other activities that you like. So I kind of, uh, you know, to me, it really kind of resonated because I was thinking about that, like the way a lot of people consume fly fishing nowadays might be with their biking trip, might be with, you know, hiking and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So, I, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's just a little bit of an indication of how, you know, like, people of our generation are now kind of connecting with different sports. It's not. Yeah. I mean, um, I think we're, we're definitely like people that are outdoors, people like, like multiple activities and kind of, you know, beyond the goofiness of just promoting biking and fishing, you know, maybe one higher level kind of goal was to show that, you know, we all enjoy the outdoors. Like usually you don't think of like consumptive sports, like fishing or hunting, having to do anything with cycling. You know, we, we tend to live in our separate silos but here in Montana, I mean, that's just not the case. You know, people that bike, you know, hunt, they fish, and we're actually all on the same team. Uh, so it was kind of a cool way to show um, kind of the synergy, this uh, melting pot between different activities that don't typically go together, but, but are actually a natural fit. Yeah, no, I think you nailed it. It's, uh, they are a very good natural fit. And, um, but tell me, uh, so 
you and is it your wife, your girlfriend, uh, Laura? A uh, longtime girlfriend. All right. Yeah. Pretty much married. <laughs> it's, yeah, pretty much. Right. 16 years. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's longer yeah. than my wife and I. We just celebrated our 11th anniversary, but been together for like 14 years. So oh, nice. nice. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we haven't figured out if we like each other yet. So <laughs> <laughs> well, but you do enjoy biking and fishing together. And uh, tell me what kind of uh, adventures have you and Laura, Laura, right? Yeah. Uh, what time, types of adventures have you and Laura, you know, been on that um, that you needed a bike and a fishing rod for? Yeah. Um, you know, when we were doing, uh, when we were still traveling uh, long term, you know, I, I learned how to fish in the, in the south uh, in Texas. So initially I was fishing for warm water species, finally got into trout when we hit uh, North Carolina. And then we did a three-month trip uh, to New Zealand, and that was primarily because I knew that they had good fishing as well. And uh, that was pretty epic. So we just spent three months uh, bicycling both the North and South Island, um, you know, trying to find interesting rivers and, and fishing along the way. Um, since then, we've done lots of loops here when we were living in Oregon. Uh, we love to fish a lot on the Crooked River uh, around Prineville, which is like you know, the perf perfect like mm -hmm. Tinkara water. Um, you know, we fish a lot in the chutes, um, here in Montana, we're starting to pick off like some of, um, you know, the really well-known rivers and some lesser known creeks, uh, you know, taking the bike and, and fishing along the way. I think, uh, you know, in, in terms of a long-term plan, our next one is to get down to, uh, somewhere in South America, um, and do you know, either a base camp and do loops with uh, the bikes and, and the rod, um, down there. You know, I visited uh, Patagonia in Argentina two, three years ago now, and yeah. uh, I thought that that would be an incredible region to to do something like that. I mean, I was kind right. of thinking, um, you know, motorcycle or something, because it's an expensive country, like very large. The roads yeah. are actually pretty good, and it's not very populated. There's no real dangerous wildlife. I think there might be cougars there, but not really, you know, it's right. not like bears and that kind of thing. I right. think, uh, yeah, I, I think you guys will have a blast. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And maybe I'll suggest that uh, you should look at, uh, let's say, December 2020, because okay. that's when the uh, the next solar eclipse is going to be. Actually, they have one in July 2019, but that's their winter. So mm -hmm. if you go to South America, Argentina, and Chile, you can catch the uh, total solar eclipse in 2020. So something nice. for you to consider. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to pick your brain on uh, some spots. Like I think we want we really want to make it happen in the next like two years. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's talk. Maybe I should tag yeah. along for a little part of it or something. <laughs> if you guys don't mind a third wheel, um, yeah. yeah, no, I think that would be fun. It's it's awesome that you're still planning, you know, big adventures with it and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Now, tell me a little bit about your connection with uh, with Tenkara. So you started with uh, Rod and Reel, uh, mm -hmm. and then you looked a little bit at you know lighter setups. Um, but I know you go back and forth. You use you know all kinds of rigs. What um, when do you use Tenkara and uh, what do you like about it for fishing? Um, I use it when, um, you know, I, I switch back and forth and it really depends on the water. Like if I know, like I have to chuck heavy streamers or get nymphs down, then I'll use the Western setup. Uh, but now like when dry fly season is on or when I don't have to get down as deep, I'll use the Tenkara rod. Uh, also like just smaller streams that I can wade in easily. Um, you know, Crooked River is a great example in Oregon. Um, we actually, you know, we moved to Missoula, Montana, and there's Rattlesnake Creek that runs, uh, that feeds into the Clark Fork. And this, it's like perfect water. It's literally like 
a block and a half from our apartment. Wow, nice. <laughs> so I'll go in there and, you know, with the stream access laws in Montana, once you're in the water, you're, you know, you can move up and down. So it's, it's totally awesome you know, to do it here. Uh, when we're traveling, um, when I'm prospecting and not, you know, trying to figure out where the, the fish are and I don't want to commit to like putting waders on or, you know, assembling a rod, you know, I use a tinkara rod to, to throw a couple casts, see if there are fish that are holding, where they're holding, uh, if it makes sense to fish to fish there. Um, or if we're constantly moving, you know, since uh, you know, tinkara rods are, are really easy to, to deploy, then um, I'll use it in that instance. But also I've found that I've, like I have lots of friends, like since I've been using the bike fishing hashtag that are, that have become fishing curious, you know, that mm. were maybe identified as cyclists and saw me doing the scoopy thing, but wanted to try it out. And they didn't, you know, they were intimidated by the the typical fly shop about all the gear that you have to get and the reel and all this stuff. Um, so you, when I have friends that are, that want to try it, I'll, I'll give them the 10 car rod or I'll show them how to use it. And that's actually how I got Laura into fishing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we were, um, you know, she'd watched me for years, like literally years, uh, and was kind of content to be on the sidelines. And then finally she's like, okay, I'll give it a try this time. And I knew, you know, line management and, you know, like the double hauls and all that stuff was going to be you know, really complicated and kind of needless for where we were fishing. Um, so I gave her, um, I think the, the Sato was, was the one, um, that we were using. And it was during the salmon fly hatch on the Deschutes. Oh, you know, nice. Just, just, just long enough to get into where the fish were and the fish mm -hmm. were eating. And, um, you know, right away, she she just got in the fish and was like, whoa, this, this is cool. <laughs> yeah, well, you couldn't have picked a better occasion, probably, you know, salmon know. hatch on the Deschutes. That's, uh, that's pretty dreamy right there. Yeah, <laughs> you, you have to pick your timing if you want to get your partner to the fishing. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a great tip, actually. I, uh, and one that maybe I overlook sometimes, I I'll introduce a lot of people to fly fishing, of course, through Tenkara. Uh, but often it's more like working around our schedules and right. I think timing might be, you know, it's a huge thing. You yeah. I feel like you have to set them up for success. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a, that's a great tip right there. And I was, I was going to ask you about, um, I'm going to ask a little bit more specific in terms of tips, but, um, so it sounds like from what I follow you on, uh, Facebook and social media, um and you just mentioned as well sometimes you carry waders uh sometimes not i mean what do you because bike fishing you know we're somewhat you can be a little bit limited in what you can mm -hmm. carry or you can start adding a ton of paneers and kind right. of things uh so tell me what does your rig look like what do you carry with you and do you have a bunch yeah, of bags you know, yeah like um i give a couple of presentations on this to, to people that are interested and i tell them you know, it can be as simple or as complicated as you want to make it mm -hmm. <laughs> um yeah sometimes uh you know when we were living in oregon i'd, I'd actually go fishing for for steelhead so i'd carry it you know it's winter so i'd carry the waders and boots and everything but now like during the summer generally i tell people they can wet wade mm -hmm. you know and they don't even have to get boots uh we found that you could get some crocs um which are super lightweight and depending on the river surface, uh, how slick the rocks are, it might, you know, it might be all you need. Uh, if it's really cold and I you know, suggest getting like some neoprene booties and combine that with the Crocs and you're generally good to go. Um, you know, if, or, you know, like, uh, we had a friend that came out, uh, the other day and he had his bedrock sandals and he was perfectly content just, you know, you know, following me through the river, uh, wearing that. Uh, so generally, you know, it's, 
it's it's more fun to do as a beginner if you're not super into fishing like when the the weather's nicer and you can wet wade um so that's usually what i'll i'll suggest to people mm -hmm. yeah because that's the times that i've done my bike fishing really has been a couple of times taking my road bike for a longer kind of ride uh, around mm -hmm. boulder and i can hit a couple of creeks with a road bike and i'll usually bring crocs with me or some super lightweight Mm -hmm. shoes in a small backpack and kind of get yeah. out of the, the cleats and a couple of times I've done some mountain biking trails that have taken me to streams uh, but I never carry much and uh, right you know and that's kind of my take but you of course you mentioned that the steel head but I think I saw something on Facebook the other day you having like some huge cargo on a new <laughs> bike or something so so do you usually have like panniers when you want to carry a little bit of extra stuff how do you kind of or do you carry in a backpack how do you describe so, that to um, us? Yeah, I did a trip just a couple of days ago, and um, you know the the modern like bike packing bike. They've got uh, these mini racks that go on the forks, uh, called anything cages, and uh, some bikes have the dedicated mounts, like it's a three bolt mount. And I what I'll actually do if I'm taking boots is I'll uh, put the one boot on each fork and use uh, like a belay strap mm. to hold it in place. Uh -huh. So and it then, gets nice and tight in there. It's uh, yeah, not yeah. flopping around. Um, just you know, bunch up the laces, put them inside. Mm -hmm. um, if I've got booties in, I'll put it inside the uh, uh, the boot itself and, and mm -hmm. strap it down to each fork. Uh, if I want to carry waders, uh, there's this product called the Anything Cradle by Salsa or any like kind of bike packing style cradle mm -hmm. um, that's meant to carry dry bag. It also carry waders. You just kind of roll it up so it kind of fits those dimensions and then strap it down your handlebar. And, um, and, you know, in, in that way, you know, you can carry, you know, waders and, and boots if, if you want. Mm -hmm. um, right now we're testing uh, this off-road uh, bicycle trailer. It's made by Burley. It's actually called the Coho. Ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and when know. they showed it at Interbike a couple of years ago, they had a big, like, I think it was like a spay rod, like connected to the back. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's unique about this trailer is it's got suspension and it's also got, um, the ability to run a, a fatter tire, so a three-inch wide tire, mm -hmm. uh, so it's meant for off-road. And with, with something like this, I could, <clears throat> I was trying to see how much fishing gear I could put in there. I could put in like four <laughs> pairs of the boots, you know, oh, wow. <laughs> rods, uh -huh. waders, and still have room to spare. So that's definitely like overkill yeah. <laughs> for most places. Well, we should probably mention to the listeners here that, uh, you know, Russ, you kind of have a, you know, your business, if you will, revolves around biking. So you geek out yeah. and you review products and uh, yeah. you're going to test out a lot of different things. But uh, just to let our listeners know, there's probably simpler ways to do it. They can probably have a basket on the front of their yeah, bike and uh, carry yeah, everything. Baskets, mm -hmm. baskets, another great way. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a you know, U.S basket maker they've been making baskets forever and like the wald 137 specific model mm -hmm. uh you know i'll put uh you know my boots in there roll up some waders and just put a bungee like a bungee cargo net uh -huh. over the just top keep it from flying out or something yeah yeah and that's a super simple solution i think mm -hmm. like that basket costs about 20 bucks nice okay yeah and you that's... Know, so that's that's kind of like the, the cheapest most functional way to do it you don't have to get like the the fork specific mounts and everything so mm -hmm. and uh what about other activities besides biking um and actually before we go into that paint me a little bit of a picture like when you're in montana when you're home uh it sounds like you have a stream a block and a half from you so you're probably not biking there right uh, uh no there i'll i'll walk although mm -hmm. um there is like some uh trails that that uh 
you know, it goes into the wilderness. So there's actually a whole trail system I can follow it up into the mountains. And mm. in that case, I'll I'll bring a, a bike with me to explore the, the the upper stretches. And would you be using like a mountain bike for something around your home there, or is it like more of a cross bike, or what are you? Uh, yeah, like a cross bike, mm-hmm. um, a mountain bike in, in the upper upper areas. It gets really rocky. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also have the option of fishing uh, the Clark Fork in downtown Missoula. So there, I could just take the road bike and go down the hill, you know, five minutes and, and fish a, a bigger bigger river. Uh, so there's options. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds like there's a ton of options. And um, do you do other things with fishing or is uh, is it either fishing or bike fishing or do you ever go backpacking? And uh, We were actually, um, before we moved here, we were training for the flyathlon. Oh, that's coming up next week, actually. I'm going to be but, joining, yeah. not as a runner, but yeah, yeah. cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, I'd gotten in, we, we had gotten into trail running and, uh, you know, we're, we're looking for, you know, kind of goofy event because we were not very like serious, you know, we're not serious cyclists. We're not serious runners. We, we, we enjoy it. Uh, but we're not, you know, we have no aspirations to be like performance athletes. We're always looking for, for interesting, uh, events and yeah, the flyathlon, I think, um, they have a couple in Colorado, one in Iowa. So we started training for that. And unfortunately we, we couldn't, we signed up, you know, um, got the plane tickets, but we couldn't make it at the last minute oh. because Laura uh, ended up getting this job here in Missoula and we had to move like, you know, the week before. Oh, I remember uh, that. We, yeah. Yeah. So we canceled uh, those plans, uh, but it is something, you know, that we want to do more in the future. And that uh, what's cool here in uh, Missoula, you, there's this, you know, the Rousney Creek uh, is a river. There's a little Creek that runs behind my place and it goes into the wilderness and you can actually ride your bike to the wilderness boundary, ditch your bike, and then go into trail run five, five miles up Ooh. and then fish some lakes uh-huh. and then come back. So we were joking about doing like the Missoula triathlon where you yeah. would, uh, <laughs> bike up, trail run and then fish and then go back. <laughs> wow. Yeah. They'll take uh, some commitment, uh, but yeah. yeah, it sounds like you'll be uh, right up your alley if you enjoy biking and running. That's uh, yeah. Yeah, I've I've been able to get into biking. I have not been able to get into running, but I'm looking forward to checking out the flyathlon next week. Actually, I'm just gonna go as a you know to demo Tenkara rods and just kind of yeah. probably create some videos on it and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'd love to see you guys joining on the one of the next ones here in Colorado or something or Idaho. Yeah, I, I think it's a cool event. I mean, yeah. I think it's you know there's got to be more things like that. Mm-hmm. I know in the biking space. Um, there's been a, cu- a couple of fly shops I know that have done fly fishing for bike packers. Oh yeah. Oh, which, which shops kind of... uh, have done that? I haven't really heard them coming yeah. from fly uh, fishing. There's one, I think, I forget the name. They're in Teton Valley. It's like okay. the world of casting or something. All right. We'll check them out. It's uh yeah, like I haven't, you know, I've, I've been kind of noticing the fly fishing industry seems to be a little reluctant to embrace other activities, which mm-hmm. is where I think Tenkari Yosei tends to sometimes run against them a little bit. Right. Um, you know, where we're kind of saying like, hey, it's okay to, you know, do right. other activities too, where <laughs> in my experience, the fly shops just want people to fly fish. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's, that's, that's like bike shops too. Mm-hmm. You know, they're very much like, okay, you want to be, you know, you go in there, the typical bike shop is like, oh, so you want to you know, learn how to ride fast. Like that's like the mm-hmm. default that's like the default, uh, assumption. It's kind of, I guess like going to the fly shop. Oh, you just want to catch big fish all the time. That's, that's all you want to do. Um, but we've seen, uh, bike shops kind of embrace the idea of, you know, combining with other activities and, 
being more than a purveyor of, of bicycling goods, but other like lifestyle things and kind of encouraging these other activities. Um, yeah, I, I feel like when I, you know, like having gone to old school bike shops and old school fly shops, they're they're very similar. <laughs> yeah, mm, are they uh, equally intimidating to yeah, people? Yeah, get the, the same like kind of older curmudgeonly guy, uh -huh. and you know, as a as a new person to either sport you feel like you're being judged oh big time not, not yeah. worthy of being in the shop yeah yeah no big time <laughs> even uh, even after fly fishing for you know i don't know 17 years or something um yeah you know i still feel the same way and i usually run away from the shop when when i'm treated yeah. that way <laughs> yeah and it's totally what I, what i dislike about both mm -hmm. activities and what you know through our content on on the through the path less felt stuff that we try to break down Mm -hmm. It's like, yes, you know, there are some people that take both things very seriously, but you don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. you, don't, you know, that's not necessarily what you have to aspire to. Uh, it can just incorporate into daily life and have fun with it. Well, and that's what I love about the vibe that you guys have, you know, the pathless paddle. And I think I feel like it jives really well with us. It's, uh, you know, like not trying to take it too, too seriously and trying right. to make it a little bit more accessible. And, and yeah, like, you know, oftentimes we may, you know, sometimes some people might see us kind of geeking out and talking about mm -hmm. philosophies in different ways and think that we are, um, you know, I think how do you say we're kind of saying, um, taking it too seriously. But right. in reality, it's like, yeah, you know, but we're all kind of sharing stories and sharing content and it's, but at the mm -hmm. same time trying to make it more accessible, um, yeah. to people. Yeah. And that's definitely, um, the voice that we've always taken with our stuff. Um, you know, we don't proclaim to be experts, you know, we're just like everybody else. We like to have fun and, and experiment. Uh, we can get nerdy, but you know, at the end of the day, it's just about enjoying the experience. Yeah. And, uh, so tell for our listeners that want to learn a little bit more about bike fishing, of course, they can go to pathlesspaddle.com. Um, mm. have you guys done a lot of blog posts? I, uh, I feel like I haven't really been reading blogs a ton. I'd be more like on the social media front reading things. Um, have you, yeah. So we've got, a we've been really active on YouTube. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. we've been putting a lot of eggs in that basket, making kind of unique, uh, bikey content that's not focused on sports. <laughs> mm -hmm. you know like most of the largest channels uh on youtube around cycling or or either about you know kind of road racing or extreme mountain biking but not like the everyday or everyday adventure so that's um you know if you guys visit our channel we'll have lots of bike reviews gear reviews and we have a whole playlist on bike fishing awesome. different bike fishing mm -hmm. trips on tips uh, both tankara and, and western and what we carry when we when we wade um i've been kind of sprinkling Add those things onto the channel just to you know, give people a, a point of entry. Yeah, I've been watching the the YouTube channel, kind of keeping an eye on it, and you guys are doing a great job with uh, video content. And I'll make sure to, you know, for our listeners um, that you know have the our podcast page bookmarked, you know, I'll make sure to post links to your YouTube channel and your blog and that kind of thing, so people can yeah. find it at tankadiosa.com forward slash podcast uh, on this podcast episode page um yeah so that's it that that is i'm glad you reminded me of the youtube yeah. channel because you guys have been doing a ton of good work there uh, yeah so you'll see like the earliest videos like really rough and <laughs> slightly more polished uh -huh. um yeah nice um excellent anything else you want to share with our listeners in terms of bike fishing um <clears throat> um 
I think it's, you know, I since I started the hashtag three years ago, I've been like, it's the next big thing. But <laughs> <laughs> I've been saying that about Tenkara for the last, uh, what, 10 years almost. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do think, like, it's starting to hit a critical mass. Like, yeah. our, our friends that, uh, you know, different bag makers that we know are, have made, like, fishing, bike fishing specific bags. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when, you know, that's like, oh, okay, it's, it's becoming more than like this fringe thing that your know, pathless pell talks about too. to other, there's enough of an interest, um, you know, that people want to try it. And also, like I said, <clears throat> you know, different fly shops have been doing, uh, bike fishing events. Um, I know, uh, one, uh, one bike tour that has a, that's going to have a guided fishing element to it, which oh, is cool. kind of cool. Mm. Um, so it's, you know, here and there, I, I think it'll ultimately still be, you know, a small niche thing. But I think, you know, people will, it won't be so strange to bring a fly rod with you when you go on a bike tour in a couple of years. Yeah, never done before, but 20 right. years, it's kind of like a reset button. <laughs> you know, was hit. And, um, you know, he took his mountain bike for a little spin and uh, he's excited to try a little bit of bike fishing too. So, uh, you know, right. I think it's definitely, at least in part, thanks to the Pathless Paddle. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> Good to hear. Yeah. And uh, for those that are intimidated, you know, just based on a conversation with TJ too, I think a lot of times people are intimidated in the beginning. They don't know where to start. Um, you know, he and I were having a conversation about uh, backpacking, you know, which can also be a little mm -hmm. intimidating. What gear do I use? Uh, but, you know, think about it. I usually like to think about it in this way. It's, uh, you know, you probably know how to bike, even if you don't bike well, you don't have too much strength, you know, it's like you, if you know how to ride a bicycle, all you have to do is carry a little rod in your backpack and go mm -hmm. to a body of water, whether it's a pond or a stream, and you're just combining the two activities in a fun way. It doesn't have to be a big ordeal. It doesn't have to be a big adventure. It can be, right. you know, like from our house here, if 10 minute ride gets us to a pond uh, and uh, can catch some fish. So, yeah, yeah, I definitely always, you know, in our on our YouTube channel, always have kind of the big the beginner in mind. Because like, although we've been, you know, bike touring for a long time, I still remember like the early days, you know, that was before like this big explosion and, you know, bike packing and everything. There was very little information and I'd go in the bike shop and I'd tell people I want to put, you know, bags on my bike and they'd give me this sideways <laughs> look and like, why? You can't go fast then. Yeah. And now it's a thing. So yes, like, but, yeah. but, but my very like early formative years, I still remember like all that. <laughs> all that judgment and, and how difficult it was to, to find good information that was kind of conveyed in like an accessible way. So that's definitely like the goal of everything that we do on, you know, on our channel or website and all our social stuff. Excellent. Uh, we are well aligned on that. And yeah. uh, Russ, I um, want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about bike fishing. I'm going to make sure to put some links on our podcast page and people can connect with you guys on social media via your blog and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm assuming all the people can find you on diverse, you know, social media platforms yeah. with uh, Path Last Paddled. Is yeah, that... on the Instagrams, the Twitters, the Facebooks. Perfect. Right. <laughs> Not so Snapchat me... though. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that, that one is probably kind of uh, seen its days already. I think uh, <laughs> bike fishing is here to stay for what I'm hearing Snapchat, not so much. <laughs> yeah, not, not many people using that. Yeah. Um, well, excellent. So thanks so much for making the time and talk to me. I uh, really appreciate that. And hopefully um, you and I will get to fish together. We tried to do it last year right before you guys moved to Missoula. So yeah, yeah uh, for sure. <laughs> you got to get together and fish. Yeah.
Cool. Well, well thanks, thanks for so having much. me on the show. It was a, it was a big uh, honor and pleasure. Um, I mean, I still remember when you started the company, and I was really stoked that you were, you know, you were willing to send this stuff from the very beginning. Um, so it's been fun to, to, to track your progress over the years as well. Well, absolutely. Let me know how else you can support bite fishing. I'm a big fan of the hashtag and what you guys are doing. <laughs> cool. Thanks. Hey, thanks again, Russ, for making the time to talk to us about bike fishing. I think bike fishing and Tankara just go hand in hand like not many other things combined. So I appreciate you uh, shedding some light on the bike fishing movement uh, that you've helped create. And now I'm going to be talking to Bart Lombardo from the Central Jersey Trout Unlimited Group. Uh, Bart is actually, as I learned today, the current president of TU at the Central Jersey chapter. And he's been involved with them for quite a long time, over a decade. And um, let's uh, hear what he has to say about the issues and challenges and projects happening at Trout Unlimited in New Jersey. Hey Bart, welcome back to the Tankata Cast. I appreciate you joining me again. And uh, today we're going to be talking about TU in New Jersey, huh? Yes. Uh, well, thank you uh, first off for inviting me back. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed the first ep- first time I was on the podcast, and um, I'm looking forward to this evening's discussion. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we're not meeting in person this time. Last time was pretty fun, just to kind of hang out and uh, drink the wine that uh, you guys made at made at home, and uh, yeah, so that was pretty fun. Yeah, well, this evening I got a, uh, a glass of some very expensive uh, cognac that my father-in-law just dropped off. So I filled up my glass before they left. They just walked out the door a few minutes ago. So uh, nice. I got it taken care of on my end. I'm, uh, I'm staying sober. I'm drinking water and actually coconut water, too, because if I drink a drop of alcohol right now, I'm going to pass out. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's been kind of a long, intense couple of weeks here, but... Uh, in any case, um, so tell me, um, a lot of people don't really think of New Jersey. Um, they don't really think of fly fishing or trout, you know, in, uh, when they think of New Jersey. Can you, before we kind of talk about TU's work and what you do with them or did with them, can you tell us just a little bit about uh, how the trout fishing is in Jersey? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, New Jersey's one of those states where uh, if you're in in the Northeast, when you think of New Jersey, you think of the view driving up and down the turnpike. You're you're looking at all these industrial complexes and factories and refineries. And that part of New Jersey is actually just a very thin corridor. Um, a very large part of the state is it's it's a pretty wild place. The northern part of the state, uh, we have uh, I won't call them mountains, but um, they are you know some pretty sizable hills uh, up. 15,000 feet, 2,000 foot. So uh, we do have a, a hilly region in the northern part of the state. The southern part of the state, uh, there's a huge expanse of, actually I'll call it wilderness, called the Pine Barrens, and that's over a million acres of uh, wild land. Not exactly trout country down in the southern part of the state because of water temperature issues, but in the northern part of the state, uh, we do have a surprising number of wild trout streams. Now those trout streams are typically very small watersheds, um, but there are a, a very large number of, of small wild trout streams. And we do have four or five, maybe a half a dozen larger rivers that are capable of supporting trout year round. And uh, we'll be talking in detail about one of those rivers this evening. Yeah, cool. Uh, so how far do you have to drive to go fishing for trout? 
where I'm located in the center of the state, um, my nearest quality year-round trout stream is about an hour and 10-minute ride, about 55 miles from my front door. Perfect. And uh, of course, we're talking a little bit of trout because we're going to be talking about Trout Unlimited's projects. But uh, some of our listeners may remember that you're, guy, you're the guy from uh, penfishonthefly.com. Uh, yes. And, and the reason that my whole interest in warm water fishing was sparked is because of the type of trout fishing that we have here in New Jersey. Although we do have a number of watersheds that will support these fish year round, um, their conditions, the water conditions during the summer are marginal at best. And a, a lot of times, even though the the fish are, are in the rivers and they're feeding, just the stress of hooking, even if your intention is to release these fish, the hooking and the fighting of the fish is often fatal uh, to these fish once those water temperatures reach 70 degrees. And we quite often see those temperature spikes during the heat of summer, which is really the time that we're going through right now. So it's it's always a good idea to give those fish a break during the summer months. And that's why I turned my attention to uh, warm water fishing, in particular my favorite, uh, you know, panfish. Excellent. So you saw that the, you know, now I'm doing the TU uh, segments of the Tenkata cast. And then he reached out saying that you are very involved. And that's partly how I know you and your friend Lou as well. Because like every time uh, we've done the New Jersey show, you guys are volunteering uh, a TU chapter. What is the name of the chapter? Remind me again, please. So I, both myself and Lou DeJena, who you referred to, we are members of the Central New Jersey uh, Trout Unlimited. And can you tell me uh, what your involvement with uh, TU has been over the years? Well, as of last night, I am now once again president of CJTU. This will be my fourth run as president of the chapter. I had a very uh, long run as chapter president, almost uh, almost a decade, and uh, I have it have come back uh, as, several times as a, a fill in for um, as we lost members from the board lost our, our officers and it just so happens that our our current president resigned yesterday oh. so as of about nine o'clock last night i am <laughs> once again the uh president of central jersey trout unlimited well i guess that's a congratulations then right well i don't know if it's a, congratulations. <laughs> it's a lot of work right <laughs> <At this point. laughs> yeah well i'm sure you'll do uh well are you planning to be on uh as president for a while since you've served so many times or are you uh, yeah i'll for... um you know my my goal as president is um obviously to fulfill all the needs of the chapter but uh, one of the most important roles as as president is to find and bring a successor up to speed mm -hmm. so that's, that's going to be a big concentration of mine in the months to come. Perfect. All right. Why don't we dig in and uh, let's hear what are the big issues going on in Jersey that uh, TU is usually involved with? Well, the, I guess one of the largest issues is is the water quality issue. And that's that's probably one of the biggest areas across the country, you know, regardless of what state you're, you're in. And in New Jersey, we have some unique challenges because of the fact that Although we do have trout water that will produce fish and support fish year round, it, they're really a lot of these watersheds. They're they're right on the brink. You know, it could go either way if if conditions go south in, in the river. So we're we're working real hard to 
uh, you know, keep these waters in, in the best possible shape. A, a lot of New Jersey's trout fishing is put and take hatchery supported waters. And um, even the larger river um, that I'm going to talk about this evening, it is primarily a, um, a put and take watershed. And that's the Musconecon River. And that is really the, the home river of Central Jersey Trout Unlimited. That's where we focus the majority of our work on. But it, it just happens to be that it is one of the highest water, water quality rivers in the state. And it still contains populations of the, the wild original Eastern strain of brook trout. Um, that was, you know, at one time, the only trout or actually in this case, char species that was, was present in New Jersey before the era of stocking. So the fact that these fish are still in the river or primarily a lot of cases in the tributaries of this river, uh, we focus a lot of our attention in trying to keep this river in the best shape as possible. Oh, excellent. So the, are the main, and remind me again, the name of the river. It's the Muskinecon River. There are, uh, again, as I said, there's four or five rivers in the state. You have the South Branch of the Raritan, the Pequest River, the Muskinecon, the Skill. These are our larger rivers. Uh, the Flatbrook River is another one. And, mm -hmm. and those five those five rivers are streams as they would be in, in most, most larger states. Um, they will su support fish year round. Most of our, as I mentioned earlier, most of our wild trout streams are very small streams. The kind of stream that you can, in a lot of places, put one foot on one bank and one foot on the other and straddle them. You know, they're, they're very small watersheds. So now is the water, water, water quality issue seems to be the main uh, kind of issue that you guys face. Is that caused by anything in particular? Uh, what, uh, what threatens those uh, those rivers that you guys work on? Well, in in the case of our our larger streams, the the biggest challenge is um, you know it's it's agricultural use that that borders the the rivers themselves, as well as the the drain of agricultural use on the water itself, taking water out of the system, and and development um, development on or near the river, be it whether it's residential development, commercial development. Uh, all those uh, issues really are things that we have to watch very closely and how they affect the water quality. Because of the fact that these rivers um, do run, you know, so close to the margins during the warmer weather, we, a lot of our work is done to actually in, improve the trout habitat, try and undo some of the damage that was created by these longstanding uh, agricultural practices and restore the rivers to a more natural condition so they can support the fish and the uh, insect life better than they were previous. Yeah, there's been a few studies I, that I've, I've seen, like one of them was actually a, a really cool movie. I'll try to put a link on this podcast page about, uh, it was called River Webs, and it, it just talks about the relationship of the forests and the, the rivers and the trout, you know, because you need the you know, a good amount of tree coverage, you know, to kind of provide insect and that kind of thing. And that's usually uh, what I would imagine creates a lot of the problems with water temperatures and water quality when you remove the, the riparian forests, you know, around the, uh, 
the streams uh, is that kind of a uh, something that you guys see a lot of um... yeah and that's exactly the the issues that we're faced with and some of the stuff that we're trying to correct you know for example two of our most recent projects on the muskinecon river actually involved um now they involved relatively short uh sections of stream um in one case it was i think a little over uh, 300 yards of, of stream and our last one i think was right around 1200 feet as well and basically we were focusing on sections of the river that were in other words ideal habitat but for one reason or another be it from you know past agricultural use or flood control measures that were enacted the natural characteristics of the river were removed and the river was channelized and basically featureless for these significant distances and then upstream and downstream of these locations the river was in a more natural state so what we did to correct this um, these projects were pretty involved and i could talk a little bit about the the last project that we uh, just completed and the and the first project is was probably practically a mirror image of of what we did recently we did two projects on the Muskinecon River. The first one that we completed a couple of years ago. When I say we, it's not just Trout Unlimited, it's multiple chapters of Trout Unlimited, as well as uh, other organizations, other watershed organizations. For example, in, in the case of the Muskinecon River, we work very closely um, with the uh, Muskinecon Watershed Association, which is basically uh, another nonprofit group that their prime focus is the, you know, the overall health of the entire river system. So they do a lot of, uh, you know, good work on the river as well. But what we did in these sections was a really, we, the rivers wonder underwent a, a major reconstruction where that we got into the river and it kind of, when people see the work going on, you know, they, they wonder, what we're doing because we're in the river with with heavy equipment uh big earth moving machines and we're we're moving boulders and we're realigning you know reestablishing banks and and dredging out holes and basically what we're doing is restoring a lot of the natural characteristics the the riffles the runs the pools the point bars all of these features that occur in a uh, natural untouched river all these features were removed for one reason or another be it um agricultural usage or channelization to try and minimal the minimize the effects of uh, flooding uh, we go back in there and we narrow the river channels and we reestablish the riffle pool run sequences in the pool, putting point bars back in, replanting those bars with uh, the riparian vegetation and, and you know, basically restoring that stream to a natural condition. And the results have been phenomenal. The work that we see uh, the before and after and how the river responds is is truly amazing the first project we did on the point mountain track which is actually a special regulation uh piece of trout water it's what we call a trout conservation stretch and there's special angling regulations in effect for that particular body of water anglers it's basically catch and release uh with the exception of the fact that an angler can keep one fish over 15 inches if they choose they can fish with spinning or fly gear but it is uh, artificials only so there are some restrictions placed on the river but those restrictions really help the overall fishery and when we completed that work within an hour of getting the machinery out of the river 
an angler had walked in and was fishing and actually caught fish in water that we had literally uh-huh. just reconstructed and as little as an hour that's, previous. And it, was, it was pretty amazing that the fish had moved back into this water and, and were responding. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, it's not the type of result you usually see right away. So that's really yeah, cool. It, it <laughs> was quite nice. surprising. Mm-hmm. And the work that we just completed was once again on the Muskinekon River. And both these sections are public waters. Uh, this work is also being done on a lot of private tracks as well. But this is a, was a second pro- public track that we uh, we worked on this past early summer. We actually started at the end of June. And beginning to end, the projects only last four or five days. And we're, we're out of the river, and you, you wouldn't even know that we were there. Mm-hmm. So the second project was on what's called the A-frame track. And it is a, uh, a section, again, about 1,200 feet of, of river that actually resides between two private fishing clubs and, and both those clubs take pretty good care of their their stream in, in their areas but this track again it was one of these 1200 foot long barren sections of river very shallow featureless just like one giant shallow run and by shallow we're talking you know, 12 inches to 18 inches deep very poor habitat for fish very poor habitat for um invertebrates so it was uh we went in there and basically did the same kind of work. We, I believe, I, I don't know if I'm misspeaking. I think we created uh, a total of seven pools in that stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's what the original plan was. I know that I think they may have done a little fit and field change um, at the very end, but they, the original plan called for for constructing a, a a number of pools where there where there was none. These pools were deep enough to get down and get access to the groundwater, which actually cools the river down significantly. These are, um, for all practical purposes, big limestone streams that we're talking about, at least in the case of the Muskinekon River, mm-hmm. and uh, just the reestablishing of the natural characteristics of the river will do a lot to improve the habitat for the fish. It now creates water that did not hold fish at any time of the year and created water that will hold fish 12 months out of the year. And it will vastly improve the uh, insect life in the area as well. Nice. Great work. So it sounds like you completed two major product projects. Uh, is there any major things coming up the pipeline or you guys are starting to work on right now? Well, all of our... All the chapters, and again, th- we did work in conjunction with with other chapters on this. And there's, I, I believe, we have ten chapters in the state of New Jersey. Mm. You know, we are a pretty densely populated uh, state. So, and is uh, there uh, before I forget, is there a uh, New Jersey TU like in Colorado? We have a Colorado TU and a bunch of chapters within Colorado. Is that how it's organized? It is the same exact structure here okay. in New Jersey. We have our NJTU, the state council, mm-hmm. and and then um, there are. In support of that, there are ten additional chapters. Mm-hmm. So, if you include the state chat, the state council, you know, we're looking at eleven different chapters in a uh, you know relatively small state. Mm-hmm. But we are uh, pretty high population density in here, so you know we do have a, a, a probably a pretty good number of members. Offhand, I'm not sure exactly what our total is, but it's it's in the thousands. I know just the two top chapters. I think Central Jersey's the second largest chapter in the state, if I'm not mistaken. Between us and uh, the largest chapter, it's probably well over a thousand members just between those two chapters. Nice. And so, 
the, some of the stuff that we're um, currently involved in, I mean, we, we have a very robust trout in a classroom program here in the state that is supported by Trout Unlimited volunteers. Uh, all the TU chapters in the state run, um, you know, various education programs such as fly tying classes, fly fishing and fly casting classes, just to introduce new people to the sport and, and hope to get them interested in uh, protecting the environment these fish live in. And we also have, um, as far as Central Jersey, uh, we also focus on some of those small wild streams. We have a project underway right now on a tributary of the Muskie called Anderson Brook. And uh, actually, I think it's next week, um, we'll have folks from uh, Fishing Game in the River doing a uh, electrosox survey to determine the fish, the trout species that are present in, in the brook. We're hoping to find some of these eastern strain brook trout in there, but we know for sure that there's definitely wild reproducing brown and rainbow trout in there. And the work that we'll be doing in that um, in that particular tributary, once we establish what species of fish are present, we'll get in there and we'll start doing some stream cleanup work, removing any uh, debris that may be in the river, as well as bankside cleaning. There'll be some invasive species removal. We'll get in there and we'll do some uh, bank repairs and planting. And if need be, if the uh, results of the electroshocking study shows that we do have this wild strain, this original strain of brook trout in there, there may be additional measures taken to uh, protect those those fish mm. and try and isolate them from the effects of, uh, you know, stockfish uh, getting access to them. Well, it sounds like you guys have your hands full. I mean, as you said, it's a very populated state, you know, but there's a good amount of waters and sounds like if uh, more work gets done there will be more habitat for the trout and maybe even the water might get connected more with uh, different rivers and uh, you know different places that need it so can you tell us what is the best way for somebody in new jersey to get involved with uh, either the new jersey tu council or you know a local um, chapter do they where do they start yeah for for new jersey itself um an individual would join a, a local chapter. Now on the national TU site, you can actually, they have a chapter locating tool there where you can bring up a graphic overlay of the state of New Jersey, and it will show you exactly what chapter covers your geographic area. As I, as I mentioned before, we have a total of 10 chapters in New Jersey. So if you're, you know, live in New Jersey, you can go to, um, Trout Unlimited's main site use their chapter locator tool, and you can you can find your chapter that um, is in your geographic area. Now, I'm a long-standing member of Central Jersey Trout Unlimited. I've been a member for so long, I don't even recall how I associated <laughs> myself with Central Jersey because they are not the geographic chapter that i would be assigned to if mm -hmm. i use that tool so you could join any chapter in the state um mm -hmm. if you if you like the work that one chapter is doing such in my case i was always a, a fan of the work that was being done by central jersey so i i travel that little bit of extra distance to uh, participate in that chapter's activities and for the jersey listeners who are listening right now just to kind of give a little bit of a geographical overview i i'm not super familiar with it but um what are a couple of the major cities that would be 
uh, essentially part of the Central Jersey TU chapter? The Central Jersey TU chapter starts in um, the far northern edge of Monmouth County, probably, or may, actually the far northern edge of Monmouth County, or maybe the uh, southern portion of Middlesex County, and and runs a pretty wide swath um about an equal dis on each side of the Raritan River. So uh, towns, the, the largest cities in the area that would be covered in our area um, would be the the, Brun the Brunswick, uh, North and South Brunswick, East Brunswick, um, Hunterdon County, uh, towns like Boundbrook and uh, Bridgewater. Mm -hmm. And we, we have, we've lost some, uh, some of our space over the years with new chapters forming, for example, the Rawway River chapter was once entirely within our, um, our area. And there was enough interest for folks that didn't want to travel to our meetings that they started their, mm -hmm. their own chapter. Uh, so we, we lost a little bit of real estate there, but we're still the, the second largest chapter. And if you took a look, look at the map and you look right at the central part of the state, that's, that's our area. That's, mm -hmm. that's where we're located. And again, our home river that we consider is the Muskinacon river. That's actually a watershed. That's not technically in our area because of the way our trout streams in New Jersey are, they're primarily all in the Northern part of the state. We do have, um, a few rivers in the southern part of the state that support trout. Uh, there's a lot of put-and-take fisheries in the southern part of the state, but most of the trout production water and the, and the water that will actually support fish year-round, they're located almost entirely north of Route 78, which really falls outside of our area. So we've adopted streams in, that are technically in other chapters areas because we need a place to do our work. Excellent. Well, Bart, thank you so very much for joining me and kind of sharing some of the issues and projects and challenges that uh, Trout Unlimited in, in New Jersey and uh, Central TU might be working on. Um, hopefully some you know newcomers to the sport will get involved. I think that's the main reason I wanted to do these um, you know conversations with TU members is uh, getting all the people that are taking up fly fishing because of Tenkara to join their local TU chapter. So hopefully some people come to uh to meetings they can log in to tu.org and uh just take a look at when the um meetings are and what the chapter are um so yeah and if anyone is interested in uh, learning more about central new jersey trout unlimited we have a very easy website it's cjtu.org uh it's so it's uh, pretty easy to remember we also have a presence on facebook and instagram under the same name so we're, we're pretty easy to find and uh, you know, just as a side note, and you mentioned Tankara, one of the things that now that I'm once again president, um, I'm going to be looking this year, we, we run a number of fly casting clinics, and there seems to be a, a growing interest in our area in, in Tankara. We've done a number of presentations, both myself and Lou DeJena have uh, provided presentations to about Tankara to uh, TU chapters and, and other fishing uh, organizations within the state and there is a growing interest so we are going to be adding or my plans are to add a uh, Tankara class to our fly fishing education 
classes that we run. So I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that. Perfect. Another great opportunity for people to stop by and learn more about Tenkara too. So thanks for doing that. Um, well, it was a pleasure talking to you again, Park. And if anybody's interested in that panfish episode, uh, you can find that at tenkariosa.com forward slash podcast. And uh, that's also where the information from this episode, anything that we reference here that needs a link, uh, I'll be make sure to post on the uh, C. JTU chapter uh, or episode <laughs> of uh, the Tenkara cast. So thanks for again for joining Bart and uh, yeah, making the time. Daniel, it's also always a pleasure. And as always, I'd like to especially thank Nick Ogawa Takenobu. You can find his music at takenobumusic.com as well as our Spotify playlists. In Spotify, just look up Tenkara and you should find Tenkara tunes with a lot of Takenobu's music. You'll find any information referenced to this podcast at tenkarayosei.com forward slash podcast. Just find the link to this podcast episode and you'll find any photos, links, or other information referenced right there. This song is called Voyage Across the Sea by Takenobu.